0: Thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Last part, so I'm excited for uh, the message today. Uh, But before we get into that, let's go before God in prayer. Who wants to pray? I'm just kidding. I do that to the kids all the time, and they freak out. They're like, I've never prayed before in my life. (laughs) I'll pray. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and the grace in our lives. I thank you, Lord, for your, um, your presence. And I pray, God, that you would open up our hearts to hear your word. I pray that we would have ears to hear um, and eyes to see, God. I thank you for everything you've done, all the miracles that are represented in this place, and every time that you've shown up and been faithful to your word. I just pray your blessing over tonight's service, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a recap, um, if you haven't been here or if you're like me and you've probably forgotten from last week. Um, so we have been covering um, in the last two weeks some important and uh, um, things that, are, uh, that we discovered um, in the Word of God. These are uh, the, the important principles that are uh, revealed to us inside of the Word. Um, and uh, first, we learned about what biblical hope was. Um, and if you guys remember, biblical hope is actively expecting the promises of God while waiting for them with patience and endurance. These promises that are revealed to us in God's word, um, these promises are revealed to us in God's word, and it is these promises that we wrap our lives uh, wholly around. We cannot have hope if we don't have the unshakable promises of God um, and uh, That is to say, we we can't have this hope, we can't experience biblical hope unless we know the promises, unless we've discovered them, unless we've read the word for ourselves. We can't have hope in God's unshaking nature if we don't know what the promises actually are. When we use this hope, we refuse to live by our experience of this world, and instead, we live by trusting in God. This is ultimately where God wants to take us, He wants to take us to a place where we trust wholeheartedly in the promises of God. He wants us to come to the place where we're not shaken by our experiences, but we're allowed to look past our experiences and trust in God regardless of what is coming into our lives. That was hope. Um, And we found out that when we live like this, that hope does not put to shame Which means when we hope like this, when we live our lives based on his promises, we'll never at the end of the day look back and say, God, you weren't faithful or, you know, I didn't make it through that. Because when we have this biblical hope in our lives, it will come to pass the the blessing that God has promised us. So that was hope. Last week, we looked at faith. Um, We found out that faith is the essence of hope. That's to say that faith is the very thing that hope is made up of. Another way to say this, and I was thinking about this a uh, couple days ago, that faith is... Um, another way to say it is that uh, the atomic makeup of hope is faith. So the very thing that's like the substance of hope is this underlying concept of this idea of faith. Um, we found out that faith is vitally important to our lives, For three reasons. Those reasons are number one. That we can't even live a life that pleases God. Apart from a life that's full of faith. We can't please God if we don't live a life of faith. That was found in Hebrews chapter 11. um, I believe verse 1. If it's not verse 1, it's definitely verse 6. Number two. We are saved by grace through faith. And so it's the grace of God that saves us. But he uses the vehicle or the mechanism of our faith to bring that salvation into our lives. Number three, the very way that we receive from God is through faith. And so um, this, this idea of faith is just as important as hope is, um, and, and it's vital that we uh, build our lives around faith as well. Like I said, we can't have hope if we don't first have faith. Um, and... We, we discovered that faith has a dual nature. That's to say that faith is not just a belief. In fact, faith is belief that's in action. We, it, it's our belief that we put into action. When I say that I have faith, I don't just say that I have belief in God and His goodness. When I say I have faith, it's a belief that I have in God that I actually do something with, that I actually act upon, that I actually use. So tonight, we're going to be moving forward. And we're going to be learning the most important thing that's revealed to us in creation, both in heaven and on earth. The most important thing. There is no concept greater. There is no idea or anything revealed to us by the word of God that's higher. This is the fundamental thing that we have to build our lives on. This is the thing that we have to captivate ourselves with. We have to focus on this. Um, And we'll find out exactly why here in a moment And so the most important thing found in all of the word of God is love. Remember our scripture that we've been looking at. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. It says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The implications of that last verse is absolutely mind-blowing And to be honest, that uh, last verse is the whole reason why I wanted to do this Bible study tonight, or over the last three weeks. Uh, The implication is uh, that love is greater than faith. And the reason why this is mind-blowing is because um, it's saying that love is greater than the very thing that enables us to have a relationship with God. It's saying that love is greater than the very thing through whom we have salvation itself. That love is higher than the, the way that we live a life that's pleasing towards God. This idea that love is greater than faith kind of blows my mind. Um, maybe you guys have seen that now as well. But, um, but that's what the Word of God says. It says clearly that the greatest of these in the three is love. And so um, let's see what Jesus says about love in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. It says this. So now I am giving you, obviously he was just talking to his disciples, but he's also talking to us, his new disciples. So now I am giving you or us a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you you should love each other. Your love one for another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not only do we have a a command from Jesus to love one another, but he's saying that the depth in which we love each other will be the telltale sign that we are followers of Jesus. Jesus isn't saying that it's by the supernatural miracles that we can do, by our gift of healing or our gift of faith. It's He's not saying, you know, um, it, by our ability to prophesy or to speak in unknown languages that they'll know that we're believers. He, he's saying it's our love that, will be, uh, that, that the non-believing world will recognize as being the thing that sets us apart um, from everybody else. It's the love that we have towards others that will be the stamp in our life that demonstrates that we are different, that we're followers of Jesus. This point is brought home in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. You guys have probably heard this verse a ton. I include it in here because I don't think you can talk about love without talking about this verse. If you've been to a wedding in the last 20 years, you've heard this verse. Um, but it's important to, to include. It says this. If I could speak with all the, language, uh, all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I give everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Nothing. I could have all the, the knowledge that is possible in this world. I could speak in other languages and prophesy to, to everyone. But if, it, if I do that without love, there's no point to any of it. My life in Christ, apart from love, is worthless. And so it's, it's this fundamental nature of love that we have to grab a hold of, that when we want to have a life in Christ, when we want to live a life that, that is connected to Jesus, that claims faith in the Word of God, it has to demonstrate love in everything we do, everything we say, the thoughts that are inside of our head, they all have to do with love. And so, um, with that uh, foundation kind of laid of how important it actually is inside of our Christian lives, um, we do... It's interesting. And so as I was studying this, um, I found something that I thought was really, really cool. Um, do you guys remember last week when I was uh, making the point that faith looks like action? That when we have faith, it actually requires us to do something about it. That faith is not simply saying, oh, I believe God that he's going to provide everything you know, I need of. But you know, when I have faith, it causes me to act. Well, this is what James was saying in two, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. We read this last week. I'm touching it again because it's important for us to know what faith, uh, how faith interacts with love. It says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a great day, you know, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself is not enough. Uh, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. So we talked about that last week, how when we have faith, it has to produce something inside of our lives and the lives of other people. But we can better understand what James is saying here if we consider what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. It says... For when we placed our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. Our faith expresses itself. Our faith is demonstrated by our love one for another. And so this is, uh, what, what's being said here is that when we have faith, that faith will manifest in other lives as loving actions towards them. Our faith in, in the teachings of Jesus will turn into love towards other people. And consider, you know, what James is actually saying. He's saying if you have faith, but that faith does not motivate you to help other people when, they, uh, when they're in need, that faith is useless. I mean, he doesn't mix words. He doesn't, he doesn't pull punches for us, you know, to make it easier for us to understand. No, he goes after it because this is so important for us to live a life that's surrounded deeply by love. He's saying if you have faith and you're, posi- you're in the position to help somebody else, but you refuse, it's revealing that something inside of your heart, um, that, uh, the fact that faith is not driving us anymore. He does this to, to help us um, come to grips with our reality on the inside. Unfortunately, we have a tendency to, you know, we can go strong after the Word of God and we can live uh, a life that's dedicated to Him. But over time, we begin to uh, get whittled away and our, our tendencies, and our, you know the, the convictions that we once held can be slowly stripped back. And so sometimes we need the Word of God to kick us in the butt sometimes. To say, look, this is how you should be living. You're not living this right now. You need to make a change. And the Bible is not bashful when it deals with with us in this way. It's because there is very real life or death consequences to our lives. What we believe, the way that we live, the way that we speak towards others, the way that we think, all of it is important for our lives and the salvation of the people that God brings to us through relationships, through family, through friends, and everybody else that God will put in our path. If we don't live a life that reflects the goodness of God through us to others, then we're missing the very opportunities that God could use to save a soul when he brings somebody to you. And so when we live our lives that are uh, apart from what the word of God says, God is giving us opportunities, but we don't take them because we just don't live in that sort of way anymore. And so um, that's completely off my notes. Um, That's all free for you guys tonight. Just when the Bible cuts us deep, it's for our building up. It's so that we can change the way that we live. It does not, um, the Bible does not like cower to our belief systems. We're supposed to mold our beliefs and the way that we live based on what the word of God says. And the only way to do that is if it cuts us sometimes and it, it gets us square, you know, between the eyes. But that's okay. God's good about that. <laughs> um, like I mentioned before, um, so we have a commandment from Jesus that we're supposed to follow. Jesus gives us a command. He's not giving us a suggestion. He's not saying, you know, it'd be nice if you guys did this. Jesus is commanding us. A command from Jesus. And this is what he says in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. It says, and these were, you know, uh, the Pharisees talking to Jesus at this moment. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Our first commandment given by God to us is love God. Um, And then our second commandment is to love others. The order of these two is actually important. Um, It's it's important because when we get it mixed up, we get ourselves into trouble. Um, It's important that Although it's seldom in our lives, but, you know, if we are ever in a position where we either love God or we love others, that we have to choose to love God first. Many times, these situations, you know, that we're in look like um, making our friends or our family happy or doing what they would want us to do in spite of what God tells us to do um, and uh, his desire for our lives. On the other hand, when we, you know, listen to God, we might risk upsetting our friends and our family, you know, to do the very will of God. You see this a lot when, uh, when somebody gets like first saved, when they first give their life to Jesus and they're, you know, excited and they tell their family about it. And, you know, their whole family just starts mocking them, tearing them down and, you know, starts berating them. Well, it's important in that moment to choose to love God over choosing to love others and doing what they would want you to do. It's important that we first please God, and then it enables us to, to love other people really well. Um, it's, always the better opinion, better, uh, it's always better to sacrifice people's opinions so that we can do the will of God. Um, if we're ever in a situation where we have to pick one of the two, it's always better to do the will of God than it is to live based on the approval of other people. With that being said, many times loving God will look like loving people. Um, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Now, disclaimer, I get that this is a lot of scripture. Um, I'm, I'm doing a whole teaching based uh, from, from what Jesus is saying. Um, don't worry, I'll get through this quickly, but uh, uh, you've got you've to pick up what the Bible is saying. Remember, the context of like why I brought this up is because loving God... Looks like loving people most of the time. And so Jesus teaches this. He says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will gather together in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and shown you hospitality, or naked and given you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones. Into, the, uh, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For when I was hungry, you did not feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. When I was a, a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home, I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. We see in this story that the commandment to love God is fulfilled by loving people. He says, the people who who will go into eternity are those that live a life of faith expressing itself as loving others, specifically loving those who can't take care of themselves, those who are destitute, those who are broken, those who are hungry or thirsty and can't provide for themselves. God has put these people inside of our lives so that we can love them. Now, my person that I get to love might be different than your person that you get to love, but all of us, uh, God has given an opportunity to bless somebody, to be the difference maker in somebody's life. And it's important that we live a life that's full of faith, that manifests itself as love. And John, uh, 1 John 4, verse 20, confirms this. Before I actually read it, the book of 1 John, if you've ever read that cover to cover, it, it'll nail you. Um, especially if you know i read it you know first when i wasn't living right when i uh, was still doing all the uh, garbage that i was giving myself over to in the first, book of first john man it'll uh, it'll cut you deep um, but uh, but that doesn't mean it's not true we need to live our lives based on what the word of god says and so first john chapter 4 verse 20 it's gonna it's gonna be punchy but hey that's the word of god it says this if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. I didn't say it. That's the word of, the word of God. <laughs> if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God when we can't see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. We demonstrate our love for God not by enduring perseverance through tribulation, not by our willingness to go anywhere he calls us to or to do anything that he calls us to do, but by simply loving other people. We demonstrate, we show our love for God by loving other people. It seems pretty simple, but this can be the most difficult thing in our lives, this idea of loving people. Um, and, and what we're going to jump into now is um, it's a teaching from Jesus that, look, we're, we're called not to love those people who are kind to us. We're not just like commanded to love people that are nice to us and take care of us in all situations. But we're commanded to love people who are evil, who take advantage of us, who hurt us. This is what Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 27 through 35. But to you who are willing to listen, that's got to be us. If there's anybody who's willing to listen to the teachings of Jesus, that has to be us, church. And so hopefully we'll listen to what he's saying in this verse. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek to them also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when, they are, uh, when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to only those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend only those t- uh, to those who can repay you, why should you get credit for it? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full reward or full return. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as the children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Sometimes when we read verses like that, we try to um, dilute them and to make them, you know, He's just saying that figuratively when I read that I see Jesus being very literal he's saying when somebody is trying to steal from you don't worry about taking them to court trying to get it back in fact later on I think it's in first Corinthians it says you know you're you're going to bring your courts your your case before unbelievers why not just get wronged and just forgive them and so Jesus is being literal here. He's he's saying, look, when someone takes advantage of you, when someone tries to hurt you, our job is not to get even. Our job is not to put justice on them. In fact, um, that's why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay them. Like, God, um, sometimes, and this is also off notes, but sometimes, you know, we want to take revenge on somebody, we want justice on somebody, because we feel like if we don't do it, then they're going to get away scotch-free, that that their actions don't mean anything, and they could just keep doing it to everybody else. But God is really aware of what they're doing, and God is really good about keeping people accountable, um, and even changing them so that they no longer live like that, because... I don't know about the kind of sinner you guys were but when I was a sinner every, I took advantage of people I hurt people I lied um, I was not a good person and so when I was living that way I hurt people and so Jesus saved me forgave me uh, and, and did a miracle in my life um, and I am thankful that I did not get the punishment that I deserved Amen. Right, Amen. Um, and so um, to be honest, loving the unlovely is the hardest thing that we'll do in this Christian life. Um, and that's because it's in a direct conflict with what our flesh says. This, this way that Jesus is commanding us to live is literally opposed to, to the old way of living, the life before Jesus, the life without the Spirit. Um, that's the thing that is being confronted like even if you guys are sitting there in your chairs and you feel twisted like Jesus really said that if you get slapped to turn your other cheek and give them your other cheek also like the thing that's being twisted inside of you it is the flesh it doesn't let go of this idea easily and so this Jesus gives us this commandment because we can't live the same way that we used to before we gave our life over to him we're called to live differently And so when we're in these situations, um, where we have people who are cursing us, being evil towards us, taking advantage of us, stealing from us, our flesh wants to get justice. And by justice, I mean, you know, we want to get even. We want something bad happening to them as well if they're going to put us through something bad. But Jesus tells us that living a life in the spirit will look like being kind to the person who takes advantage of you. While it's not natural for our flesh to respond with kindness, it's entirely possible. And the way that it's possible is if we submit our lives to Jesus. Romans chapter 8 tells us that when we live by the Spirit, that is through our life with the Holy Spirit that we can respond to evil with kindness and patience. In fact, apart from living by the power of the Holy Spirit, this stuff is not possible. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to live inside of us because He enables us to live differently. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power and the ability to say no to the things of the flesh and to to say yes to the things that God would have us to do. Apart from the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can't love the unlovely. Apart from the dwelling presence of God, we cannot be kind and patient to those who are taking advantage of us. Luckily... Jesus gave us the solution. The Holy Spirit does live inside of us. If you believe in Jesus, then the seal that you are saved, the, the, the mark or the, the down payment of your salvation, is the Holy Spirit living inside of us, giving us the power to do the very things that please God. And so, um, before I go on, if, if you're in this place and you've never actually asked the Holy Spirit to, to come inside of you, I'm not going to pray for that right now, but... I genuinely, um, I encourage you, read the scriptures about what it says about the Holy Spirit, specifically in the book of Acts. There was people, there was a whole part of the church who had believed in the message about Jesus, who had given their lives to him, and they'd been baptized. But when, uh, I believe, Peter uh, came into the situation, if it wasn't Peter, then it was Paul, you know, they, he asked, you know, what kind of baptism have you received? And they said, oh, we got the baptism of John, And he says the baptism of John was for, you know, repentance from dead works. The baptism that you need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so if you've never asked the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, um, if if you've never had that moment of change that John chapter 3 talks about when somebody is born again, it's probably because... It might be because, I don't want to get myself in trouble, (laughs) it might be because you don't have the Holy Spirit, you haven't asked the Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside. It's through his power that we're changed, and so if you don't have the power to change, if you don't feel ever that ability to do something different, it might be because you need to ask him to live on the inside of you. With that being said, um, my most important point about love is this. Love is not just uh, love is indeed it's an action it's not just in word and the first and foremost thing is when I talk about love I am NOT talking about the feeling you know when when we're you know uh, when we meet our our spouse for the first time some of us uh, years ago some of us decades but when you meet that person you feel the feeling of being in love everything they do is you know fantastic and you know they never make any mistakes I'm not talking about that feeling. I am not talking about the feeling of uh, uh, being in love. In fact, um, the feeling of love, in my estimation, is the lowest form of love. It's the easiest one. You know, it doesn't take any effort to feel that. That's just something as humans uh, we feel. What I am talking about, um, and uh, before I go there, remember... um, I said this two weeks ago, the problem with feelings is that they change way too easily. You know, one day I might feel like loving people, and it's easy to do that. But another day, you know, I might just not feel like loving people because I've had a bad day, or, you know, because, you know, my car got a flat tire, or I didn't win the Powerball last night, you know, any of those reasons. (laughs) But... You know, uh, when we live our lives based on feeling and, you know, we only love people when we feel like it, well, we're going to have bad days. And it's in those days that we have to choose to be loving because in those days, choosing to be unkind is not, uh, a bad day is not a good excuse to be unkind towards others. You know, a bad day is not a good excuse to be, uh, to take advantage of others or to get revenge on others. Jesus commands us to live through love on good days and bad days. And so um, the, the love that God is wanting from us is ultimately a decision that we have to make. It's not a feeling that we experience. This kind of love is a choice that is not based on circumstances that can easily change, but it's based entirely on the fact that God commands us to live this way. Not only that, But God demonstrated this love towards us, this same kind of decision-making love towards us. And thankfully, God made a decision. So even if he were, now God doesn't have bad days, but even if he were to have a bad day, he would still choose to love us. We see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. I love this scripture because it gives me a lot of hope for the love of God. It says this, Now, Most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. I was just telling somebody this today that God saw our worst moment. The moment where we were in our worst sin, in the middle of the worst thing that we'll ever do in our entire life and made a decision in that moment to send Christ for us, to to make a way for us to escape the evil of that lifestyle, to, to make it so we can experience what love actually is once again. And so I am just blown away at God's level of love because he saw my worst day And still chose to make a way for me. When I did not deserve it, when I was um, in the depth of my sin, he still chose love. 1 John 4 19, we love others because he first loved us. This is an important distinction because if our love was based on if we were in the mood to love or not, then we would just be as fickle as the world. Some days we would be kind and loving, and other days, We'd be rude and mean. But since we love by choice and not by feeling, then we allow ourselves to love in spite of what people do to us. In spite of when people take advantage of us, in spite of when people uh, uh, spitefully use us or cuss us out or uh, uh, steal from us or take advantage, I think I said that, but in spite of what everybody does, we decide to love First, because Jesus commands us to. And second, because we demonstrate the very love that God had for us when we were doing all those same things to other people. And so, um, what does it look like to love? What does it look like to love other people? Well, I'm glad that you asked that. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 explains it perfectly. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice. What that means is it, it's not happy. Love is not happy when somebody, you know, gets e- uh, something bad happen to them. You know, it, love does not, you know, throw a party when, you know, somebody has this terrible thing happen in their lives. Um, Love uh, uh, does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. These are the exact qualities that we need to choose to emulate. These are the qualities that we need to make a choice to show towards others. We choose to be patient with others. We choose to be kind towards them. We actively fight against thoughts of jealousy as they try to affect us. We make an effort to resist the desire to be boastful you know, or proud or, or rude about our accomplishments and how great we are. We don't force our own plans down other people's throat, but in fact, we honor each other. Yeah. Romans twelve nine through 10 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this, and this is why I put it in. Outdo one another in showing honor. That means have a competition with the people that you're around with seeing who can honor everybody else more. Outdo one another in showing honor towards others. We we are not given over to irritability, and when other people are evil towards us, we forgive them quickly. We don't boast about the downfall of others, but instead we are glad in any moment when the truth wins. We never give up on others. We never lose faith. We are always hopeful, and our love gives us endurance through all things. One final word about love. Um, The final thing that I have to say is that in most circumstances, choosing to love others is choosing self-sacrifice. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let me pause. The way that the world is trying to teach people to live nowadays is absolutely in opposition to this. The way the world is saying right now is, you know, you have to strive, you have to push and make sure that you have a good life, and, you know, don't look for anybody else, you've got enough worries, you know, to focus on your own thing. When Paul is teaching, he's saying, look, don't, you know, consider others as being better than yourselves. It continues, it says, let each one of you not, out, not only look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. And so we need to be a people that care more about the betterment of others than the advancement of our own lives. When we do this, we crucify our desires for pleasure, and we take, our very, uh, we take on the very nature of Christ actively looks out for all of our needs. We see that Jesus teaches this all throughout the Gospels. From Jesus' teaching about taking a lower place at the dinner table, if you guys don't remember this, this uh, uh, story, Jesus literally got invited to a dinner table and he, he witnessed something. He saw that all the people, they tried to take a seat at the head of the table, You know, at the place where they could be seen the most and be the most prominent. And Jesus says, don't worry about trying to make, you know, yourself to be something more than you're not. In fact, Jesus teaches, take the lowest place so that when the master of the party sees you, he he honors you in front of everybody else by taking you and putting you in a better place. And so he teaches us um, that we should be putting others before ourselves. Um, So from that to his admonishment that, If we want to be the greatest, if that's a desire of ours to be great, then we have to be a servant. That if we want to, it literally says, if you want to be the greatest in heaven, then you have to be the servant of all on earth. And so, uh, and then um, to even his own demonstration that he is the king of kings, he is the Lord of lords, he is God, and yet when he came to earth, it says he came down to serve, we see that love by its nature is sacrificial. And we no longer live for ourselves, but we live to help and serve others. I think this is best demonstrated in the attitude of the first century church. If you read the book of Acts, um, and if, if you're curious about the book of Acts, you should check out, past, uh, you should check out uh, um, Howie's class Thursday nights at 6.30. Amen. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, in uh, room number nine, he's going through... The book of acts and it's a fantastic study me and him talk chapter about it 18. chapter 18 but the first century church had an amazing uh attitude towards helping each other out it says i believe in chapter five six or seven somewhere in there that all the believers came together they sold their property and they provided food for everyone who was in need and that was the regular practice of the church back then. They did not care about their own needs. In fact, they made sure that they were able to take care of the needs of every one of the other believers. It's that sacrificial love that we need to return to. Not looking for our own betterments, not looking for our own advancement, but looking out for the needs of others. And so with that being said, that's my Bible study tonight. I do have homework. Hopefully you guys have been doing your homework. So tonight's homework is to go out of your way to demonstrate love towards someone this week. There is extra credit if you've been missing the last couple weeks, um, and that's to make a decision to be kind and loving towards someone else who is actively being evil towards you. The extra credit homework is be kind and loving and forgiving to someone who's actually harming you, to pray for them and to forgive them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So with that being said, let me pray for you because we need the Holy Spirit to help us with this. Um, And let's get out of here. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and the grace over this message. I pray that this message would impact us, that we would be a people that's marked by love, sacrificial love, the love that you have towards us. And I pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, um, when we're in positions to either choose love or justice, or revenge, and that you would allow us to choose mercy and love instead. God, I pray grace over us as we go. I pray that all of us would go home safely, um, and I just thank you for everything you've done today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. I don't know when I'm going to teach you in, but I'll see you guys all soon. And so, adios.